welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. And here we go. Which is a crazy thing to say after the season we just had. It's over. But here we go. That's it. The draft lottery is done. The season is done. The lockers are cleaned out. Most of the neurosis is over. We can push that out of the way and finally look at things calmly, coolly, rationally. I'm just kidding. It's going to be more neurosis, just different neurosis. The Winged Wheel Podcast, folks. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm not yelling yet. I'm exhausted. It's way too late. <laughs> we did give Evan a warning about how late tonight would be. The uh, The draft lottery happened, and it lived up to the anxiety that it induced. It lived up to the anticipated frustrations for a slew of reasons. A slew of reasons. The least of which, not the least of which, was the fact that the results were leaked about half an hour before it started. Yep. And I appreciate everybody who tweeted it at me. Well, no, they like a few people sent it. It was on Reddit. Yeah, it was everywhere. I know. There's no I way know. you can avoid it. There is no chance we were avoiding it. No. Um, it ruined the fun of it, though. It's a, as anxiety-inducing as the draft lottery is. It really did take the luster out of it because as soon as we rolled past Chicago, we knew it was legit. Here's the thing: the draft lottery results. Be let's tackle that first. The draft lottery happened. Yeah, Red Wings are drafting sixth overall. That's Yay. their most likely outcome. Statistically, the most likely. We'll get to that in a second. The fact that they were leaked is frustrating because it was the whole point of this entire broadcast was to broadcast the draft lottery results. Leaking it is kind of crappy because it it takes kind of the fun of the whole spectacle out. And the spectacle being that it's a a system that a lot of people are frustrated with now. You couple that with the fact that the first 30 minutes of the broadcast were not draft lottery related? No, it was an insult to the fans that were watching this because a majority of the people who were watching the draft lottery were fans of the 15 teams not in the playoffs. So then we had to watch a half hour of coverage about the playoffs. Now, there's no hockey fan in their right mind that's probably not going to watch some of the playoffs, Uh but that's not why we were here tonight. No. Who was shocked that they milked it that long? Oh, I, wasn't. I thought they would milk it that long, and I was actually okay with that for as as high as my anxiety was and wanted to get it over with. I would be cool if they did not do the draft lottery till minute 40 like they did, but I thought they would do stuff like, here's how the odds work. Here's how it works. Here's like uh, some samples of the top 10 prospects and what's at the stake, and here's a history of previous draft lotteries and how it worked and which teams jumped up and yada, yada, yada. You know, draft stuff. Because it's the draft lottery, and we got none of that, which was frustrating as all hell. They're like, hey, did you know Toronto and Boston are playing each other? Yeah, I'm going to watch the games. Can we go do the – show me Turcotte highlights. Oh, no, no, no. Calgary and Colorado also playing each other in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, but uh, Pod Colson's in Russia. We haven't seen a lot of him. Can we get some of that? Oh, no. uh, Did you guys know that Winnipeg made the playoffs, and they'll also be playing a playoff series? Here's when their games are. Hey, do you know what Winnipeg's close to? Saskatoon. Any Kirby Doc highlights? (laughs) It's... And it was both the, the Canadian American networks, they both did the same thing. And I understand that the decision probably came from the NHL, probably came from the networks. They have air to fill. <sighs> this was I, – I never thought I'd see it so bad to the point where I hope they put it back in an intermission next year. Yeah, honestly, just do it in one intermission. I would rather watch 
20 minutes of a playoff game and then get the draft lottery, then watch 30 minutes of a playoff preview and then get the draft lottery. So you couple that with the fact that we knew the results before we got there, which took the excitement right out of it. It was a debacle and should not be repeated. And that's not even getting into the fact that this whole lottery system has its flaws to begin with and should be done away with. But if you're going to stick with it, let's not screw it up next year, please, because this wasn't fun. Although, shout out to the 400 of you that came on the live stream and watched us get growing uh, increasingly frustrated and angry. At least we know who the next Winter Classic will be. (laughs) (laughs) Chicago Rangers, Pod Colson versus Kako. Let's go. Yep. The Devils again. They jump up for Heesher. Now they jump. They jumped up for Heesher. And some people, I actually heard this. Um, someone say, ah, the poor Devils. They jumped up in, in the draft that won't go down as like having the best. And Heesher's not known to scoff at, but, you know, he's not considered one of the best first overall picks in the he's last no couple Jack of years. No Jack Hughes. And then they jump up again. Two of those in three years. Taylor Hall, six times in 10 years. He, uh, The Devils had the second best odds or the third best odds? Third best odds, I believe. Detroit was two points ahead of them. Okay, I want to say this now. There were two camps, primarily. Uh, the win streak camp in favor of it and the tanking camp who was mad at the win streak. Let me tell you this. The results of the t- tonight don't change anything. It is so easy to sit here and, as I just said, say, oh, Detroit was only two points away from the spot that got Jack Hughes. The players will literally never play to lose. They are two separate realms. They don't exist. They don't. There's no interplay. You can't be mad at anything there. You can it would be, be nice to play with Jack Hughes, though. It would be nice to play, and you can say that, and you can say, "Oh man, I wish Detroit did worse," or "I wish that you know they had lost a couple of games that they eked out a win." For sure, you can say that, but you can't sit there and say Detroit did anything wrong. Ken Holland did anything wrong. You know, the the players did anything wrong. It's just not the way it works. So, here's what I'm going to say on that. It's a testament to how flawed this system is. Yeah. Because was it necessarily bad that the Red Wings uh, won all those games? In some respects, no. It was a good thing. We saw the development. Bertuzzi, Mantha got hot. Larkin and Athens, you hit their milestones. Heronik looked absolutely fantastic. Had Detroit lost a couple more of those games, they're sitting in New Jersey spot, and we have Jack Hughes right now. That's the reality of it. There's no way around that. If... It, the third overall spot was what got Jack Hughes and the Red Wings finished. We were fourth. there. We flirted third and second last all year. There was literally one game where Detroit beat New Jersey a couple weeks ago and had the results of just that one game flipped. We're looking at Jack Hughes right now. And you're on the right, like you were saying the right thing there. It's a system that's flawed. It's a system that's flawed. You never ask your team to lose. And that's why I hate it. And again, I'm not going to dwell on this because we're biased as all. Understanding that almost everything we're going to say tonight, I'm trying to (laughs) take my bias out of it because Detroit, once again, got screwed by the lottery. There has not been a draft lottery yet where Detroit has been involved and not dropped spots. Also, if the gold plan had been implemented, the Red Wings are picking first overall right now. They would have earned the first overall pick. I think LA would have been picking second and Colorado third because of how Ottawa finished the season. But because they won those games, we're conflicted about it. We're picking sixth instead of first or fifth. Let's just assume we pass New Jersey or LA. It's it's a flawed system, and I'm done with it. And I this draft lottery was the perfect argument about why this system is flawed. Because there's 
two reasons for draft lottery. A, you still want to weight the advantage to help the teams that need it at the bottom of the standings. But at the same time, you also want to try to avoid tanking. You don't want teams to intentionally sell off all their players, try to lose, etc. right? Well, let's examine the three teams that won the draft lottery. Chicago probably make the playoffs this year if they're not missing Corey Crawford for the near entirety of the season. This is a team that does not need a lot of help, and now they're getting uh, the number three overall pick. So let's just assume it's Pod Colson. The New Jersey Devils, a team that probably would not have been in this spot had Corey Schneider not fallen off the face of the earth for a year. And, you know, the literal league MVP had not been injured for a bulk of the season. And then they decided they elected to have his surgery late in the season. So that him out all year. So he would not have played. New so, Jersey tanked hard. So man. they're the perfect example. Not only did they not need the help, but they actively tanked, even though not needing it. And then you have the Rangers, the team that literally sent an email to their season tickets, basically stating, hey, we're about to tank. We hope you're okay with it. So if you're trying to help the teams that need it, you didn't. And if you're trying to prevent teams from tanking, you didn't. So this system tonight lost in two ways at both things it's trying to do. This is why I hate the system. And again, I'm sitting here as a Red Wings fan who in the three years have dropped a combined total five spots now. One, two, and two. It's a flawed system, and I'm not saying they need to implement the goal plan, but they need to fix this. If you're going to still go with ping pong balls and a spinner, it has to be a different format. Uh, you know what a good solution would be? The goal plan. The goal plan. <laughs> the uh, we, we mentioned that Detroit landed where they sh- statistically would have landed if you took all the probabilities into account. They had a 34% chance, over a third of the lottery balls came out with Detroit six overall. That's just the reality of it. And if you want to get even a little bit more, apparently we didn't see it. <laughs> it's Ernst and Young who did it. We trust. Oh yeah. Well, just say these guys have carried the cards out in this very secret box. Uh, they do actually record the the uh, background pulling of the balls and they publicize it after. They did and, for the McDavid draft. And apparently, too, each team has a representative in the room. Yeah. Uh, Dra- Detroit had Draper in the room, Holland out uh, to yeah. have the results ready. And uh, based on one Sportsnet employee's account tonight, apparently the, dra- the drawing is actually done two hours before it's revealed. It, well, it was real. It was done an hour and a half before it was revealed. <laughs> yeah. It was televised. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so, so there, ha- they essentially had a sixty percent chance of drafting fifth or sixth. That's so. Detroit is where Detroit we expected Detroit to be. Now, and we're we're about to go cut to an interview with uh, Max Boltman. Um, this has a lot of good silver linings for Detroit. There are a lot of really good takeaways. This is not doom and gloom. We're yelling about something right now that is an overarching thing that affected Detroit in this instance. It could affect Detroit again next year. It affected Detroit last year, but it's a one-off. It affects them on this day, but moving into the draft, there are so many good things to pull from. There are a large, large handful. There, There's a slew of great players for Detroit to take at six. There's a chance that Bowen Byram falls. Small chance, but there's a chance. It's ironic. Well, not ironic, but it's funny because the three players that I'm really hoping for that are going to fall to six are the exact three that Max rhymed off in this interview. So that was convenient. Zegras, Turcotte, Cousins, Byram. 
Pod Colson. Pod Colson might fall. Again, Pod Colson could fall. Zadina was a slam dunk for third overall for most of last season. We got him at six, so there's no reason to say that won't be Pod Colson this year. Again, I would not bet on it, but stranger things have happened. There's so much that can happen between now and the draft. The whole Ottawa taking Brady Kachuk thing didn't really formulate until about a couple of weeks before. The, like, There's so many different things that can happen. And the nice thing is, whichever way you shake it, Detroit is going to get a great player. This isn't like last draft where you know Detroit didn't need a winger, but winger was the best player available. This is where if Detroit's not taking a center, they're probably taking their other need, which is a defenseman. Or they're taking a superstar. Or they're taking Pod Colson. Yeah. It's going to be defense. Like, it's almost certainly going to be defenseman, center, or Pod Colson. I don't see them reaching for Boldy. I don't see them reaching for Caulfield, although those would be... They would be fun. They would be good value picks at six, objectively, but I don't think they're the best players there. And positionally, this is the draft where it's actually lining up that Detroit, the best player available at six, should be at a direct position of need. Yeah. Picks three through 10 are meaty this year. They are like, there's a lot of great choices and Detroit, you know, for as much as we'll fault Ken Holland, they have done a fantastic job, job drafting. Uh, with that, we're going to uh, cut to our interview with Max Boltman. Uh, we're going to chat a little bit about the draft lottery uh, and we'll ch- talk also about uh, the wrap up of the Red Wing season, uh, the exit interviews and what we gained from that. And so enjoy this interview. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. We made it, Max. We made it. The long, long season is over. We can finally start unwrapping everything. Uh, everyone, we have Max Boltman of The Athletic with us. Uh, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, my pleasure. And, and, you know, certainly we did make it past Lottery Day, but I think everyone listening would like to rewind a day right now. <laughs> yeah, they would. It's uh, just the way it went down was so frustrating so obviously detroit ended up with the sixth overall pick statistically the most probable pick that they would have correct you have to assume that going in um that's silver lining one is it's not a surprise silver lining two and and we'll talk about this is that obviously there are a slew of great players for detroit to take at six no matter which way the 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 draft shakes out but new jersey again It's it's just New know, Jersey man. again. Yeah. New Jersey is the new Edmonton. Taylor Hall magic. Someone uh, calculated the odds of Taylor Hall getting six out of ten first overall picks since the year he was drafted at 0.002%. <laughs> How much money? Taylor Hall's a free agent in a year. How much salary money, like addition, do you think that his, <laughs> like, insane control over the ping pong balls like how much did that add on to the next contract you know that pushes him from an 11 million dollar player to a 13 million dollar player probably <laughs> if if he never plays a game with the red wings due to injury but we get six out of ten first overall picks i'll give him 11 million a year <laughs> oh absolutely without a doubt <laughs> give him give him the double Zetterberg contract yeah <laughs> um so you didn't see the leak then max you you got the whole thing organically no, yeah, so I was in the so my parents don't have cable. I'm back at home uh, because uh, I mean my, I'm from Grand Rapids, so I'm in town to do some some Griffins uh, watching this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, my parents don't have cable at my like, childhood home, so my my childhood best friend and I went uh, out to a local sports bar. We had to convince them to put the lottery on, 
they had just like <laughs> oh, like MLB tonight or something on the TV or the Piston or something, and like on like every TV, I'd be like, do we get one on hockey? And uh, and they begrudgingly uh, acquiesced at eight oh one p.m. And so the whole time though, like I was like doing work on kind of an article, I was like kind of uh, pre-planning, uh, doing some some. Uh, it, it's actually published now. So like it, the article that I published on, uh, you know, their option to pick six, uh, I've been working on for a few days. Uh, and because I feel like the guys who are available at six are the same general guys that would have been available at three, which is kind of the, the full circle way to, uh, come at this, which is that I think a lot of the same names, well, they're not going to have everyone on the board, but somebody that they will have on the board at six is someone that I would have genuinely considered as high as three. So that is the, uh, the if, you, if there is a silver lining out of night when you fall two spots in the lottery and get jumped by Chicago, uh, that's probably what it is. And that's that's an amazing silver lining, like truly, like that. And, and Max Max doesn't pull punches, guys. If this is something that we had to feel bad about, Max would tell us. But no, truly, anywhere from Paul oh, you Coles can feel it. bad, like you can <laughs> feel bad, but like, but there's also a, a little bit of a reason to feel optimistic. Yeah, so from Pod Colson down to Caulfield, uh, maybe without spoiling your entire article because we want people to go read it, um, what's the general makeup of what you think Detroit might be looking at there? Well, so they're, they're very likely going to have a chance to get a guy who could be a first-line center. Uh, you could, I mean, so Hughes, Kako off the board, presumably at one-two. Then at three, the options, I, the way I see at the top, the next four uh, would be in some order, Turcotte, Zegris, Podkolzin, Byram. Uh, now, I know a lot of fans have their hearts on Byram. The cautionary thing that I would tell them about that at six is that def- the, the number one defenseman in the draft has not made it past pick five since 2003. So if you are hoping for Bowen Byram at six, uh, I think that is a very fair, noble thing to hope. <laughs> I don't see it happening. What that does mean is that one of Pod Colson's Zegers Turcotte probably will be there. And so if it's Pod Colson, it means you get a guy who's potentially considered the number three prospect in the draft, even if you have to wait a little bit. And if he goes, uh, then you're either getting Turcotte or Zegers, who, like, just to, like, tell you how good I think those two guys are, the first time I saw Turcotte play was about a month ago live. Uh, and I walked back into my apartment, or my, you know, my apartment, uh, when I got back from Plymouth, and I told my girlfriend, like, oh, well, I think I saw the guy the Red Wings take, and that was Turcotte. And then I came, I went and saw them again like a week later, and I came back and I told her, like, there might be a different guy they should take, and that was Zegers. And, like, there's a real chance one of those guys, or even both of those guys, is on the board when they pick. Uh, and I think that is something that, you know, again, you can still be very upset. Like, there's a lot of reason to be upset. But uh, that's a reason to be not so upset. Now, you'll see us screaming all over Twitter, the gold plan. If you had the yeah. choice, do you, do you implement the gold plan over the current system? Um, I like the idea of the gold plan. I don't know that like, like I'm like a, I'm like a, like a slow trigger puller. I guess that is the way I would put it. Like, yeah, I'm definitely interested in the gold plan. Like, but I'm not someone who like, I guess like would make change that fast. Like, like I think there's still a good argument that, exactly what happened tonight is, is reason to, you know, like, it, like this does the job of discouraging tanking with the exception of New Jersey who might've tanked pretty hard and got rewarded with the first order pick. But like New York and Chicago objectively did not, you know, did not go full tank and they got rewarded. I'm not convinced that the current system is flawed 
completely in that way. Not to say it's like a perfect system, but um, but I do like what the gold plan does. It like in creating meaningful games every night for everybody. I think that's an awesome thing that the league could have. And I think uh, you know that's that certainly a lot of people before me have said that, smarter than me have said that. But I'm very much a believer in that thinking that if you can make every game matter for everyone, the product only goes only gets better. Um, you mentioned Byram likely won't fall, and, and that is a good point that I think most people will will come to understand. But there's still a chance that he does. So if Byram is available at pick six, is that an automatic trigger pull for you? For you, I know we just talked about you not pulling the trigger fast, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, see that? So like, okay, like let's say like Turcott, like not all three are going to be available. Let's just say Turcott Zegers and Byram are all available. I think there's so many questions there. So Zegris is like your playmaker who's going to run your first power play. They don't really have a guy like him who's like, you know, basically made to give Phillips you know, good looks at one-timers. Like, that's a real strong candidate. Turcotte's like your, like, like Larkin clone who, you know, if you have two Dillamarkins, I imagine what this revving lineup would look like. And he's a Larkin clone who also has like almost double Larkin's production at the same age in the same program. Like, he, he outproduced Jack Hughes in USHL play this year. He got like over two points a game. And it's a small sample, like 16 games or whatever. But he got like 34 points in 16 USHL games. Like that's an elite player. If, if that's like a first line center and you're choosing between that and Byram, who I think most people think is a first pair D, that's a very real question. And the same thing with like Turcotte. It's like, I mean, not with their Zegras. It's like a first line center playmaker who would really maximize your last year's number six overall pick. Like, I can see really good arguments for any of them. Um, I don't think drafting for need is like super ideal, but at the same time, you have to get your first pair of defensemen sometime. So like I would give very strong consideration to all three of those guys. I can't sit here today and say that there's any one of them that would be an auto trigger pull for me. But again, that might just be my predisposition. <laughs> so then to, kind of generalize this a bit more towards the Red Wings season after watching 82 games of whatever the hell that was. Um, if it boiled down to what would you say is Detroit's biggest need, single biggest need as an organization right now? Man. Isn't that the problem? Like, there's not just one. Like, if there were <laughs> one piece away, things would be a lot simpler. I think they do need... They do need a shutdown, like not a shutdown, like a like an all situations trustworthy D. Because I think, you know, you've seen flashes where like Nick Jensen looks shut down for a while and then they traded him. Like, you know, there's been kind of a resurgence in people trusting in Danny DeKaiser as a defensive defenseman. And you've got Phil Peronic who who that is showing some two way there. And then there was Dennis Rossi who looked great offensively, but like, is there that one guy that you can say, Hey, go play twenty five minutes and we know you're gonna do great? No. That's like probably the biggest hole on the team. Now, to get to a contender, like I know you guys are believers in this idea too, like you need two top line centers. And right now they only have one. Like I I think Andreas FNC can be a serviceable second line center. But like is he a second line center on a cup team? No, I think he's probably like like a top six winger on a cup team who like flies through and scores unbelievable goals because he can he can creep into the neutral zone and, and just get by you. Like I think you you still do need that that complimentary center to Larkin. Um, but I, I have to think that the, the, you know, the all situations, uh, like just complete money defenseman is, is probably the biggest need. 
we're going to pull this uh, away because Max, it's going to be a long summer and, and you're going to be here plenty talking about the draft. So let's, <laughs> let's talk about yeah. the, uh, the end of season. Um, and again, another article that you wrote, which was a great read. Um, it got me through my lunch hour. So thank you. Um, about the, uh, end, of, end of season locker clean out. First of all, how funny it is that the players and, and, and coaches and sometimes GMs are so candid. Um, but a lot of interesting Red Wings news came out and there's kind of a lot to unpack. Um, Everything from Cronwall and Vanek really strongly hinting at, at their returns to, to Holland being openly asked about Iserman. Um, what were your biggest takeaways from that whole thing? Okay, so my biggest takeaway on the Vanek thing is that that got completely taken out of context online. Vanek oh, yeah? just said he thinks he can still play. Like, I don't, like, every year a, a pending free agent is going to talk to the GM whose team he's currently on. Like, I did not get a vibe that there's, like, progress or motion on talks there like i did not get that vibe from from the same quote that everyone on twitter saw and i can understand with the way that it was maybe framed on twitter it looking like that like that is not the vibe i got cronwell maybe a little more sense that like you know thousand games is right around the corner all every you know from the coach to the gm thinks he can still do it physically like that might be one where maybe you think the writing's on the wall for him to potentially come back if his, you know, if his family's up for it. Mm-hmm. But the Vanek thing, I did not think was actually like, you know, foreshadowing at all. Um, but yeah, a lot of stuff there. And like, I thought the Holland on Iserman was maybe the most like interesting because it's the, it's the loosest I've seen Ken about that topic. He was cracking jokes. I know people didn't like him saying that they laugh about it, but I don't know. I don't know a pair of friends who, if there was all these rumors out there about like, this guy's going to take your job, like what else are you supposed to do with your friend who people think is going to take your job, but laugh about it. Like that's the only human reaction you can have in that situation. Um, I thought he was really candid about it. I, I love what he said when like someone asked, you know, do you know what he's going to do? And he said, like, I don't, cause that's either like, you know, they're, they're close. They, they talk, whatever, but he's got no idea what he's doing. Like I thought that was, you know, that kind of tells me that uh, if this if this does go down with Eisenman coming back to Detroit, uh, it's probably just going to be the same way the news of his leaving Tampa came down. One day we're all going to open Twitter and it's going to be like Eisenman saying what he's doing. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know if there's going to be a week. I think he's going to he's going to hold his cards and he's going to play them, which is frankly probably what makes him a really good NHL executive. Yeah, and this kind of points back to my like significant skepticism of that New York Post article that came out uh, about Eisenman. Multiple sources say the Eisenman's thinking means he's a, a bunch of like nothing burger statements pointing him towards the uh, old Glenn Sather job, the, the president of hockey ops there. Is there, I don't know, from your sense of it, I guess your intuition or what anything you might know, is that significant or is that, do you get the feeling that that's just guesswork? Well, you know, I certainly believe that that the author of the story that was Brooksy, right? Like, I'm sure that he was had, Brooksy, yeah. I'm sure he had like legitimate sources on that, but at the same time, like, you know, if you read what the story like was saying, it just says he'd be amenable, amenable to being wooed. Like to me, all that says is he still wants to, he's still open to working in hockey or wants to work in hockey. And I think that's a question people have actually had: is like, you know, does he still want to do this or whatever? Like to me, that's the answer I took out of that was like. Hey, he's still he's still down to to have the job. It's not like a he's on the edge of retirement. Um, that's what I took away from that. And actually, to be clear, when I say when I make it like the, the comment, I'm thinking about like 
what are friends supposed to do if like they think they're gonna you know take each other's job? That also might not even be what's happening when you consider the possibility of the president role. Like if Eisenhower comes back to Detroit, it could theoretically be in addition to Ken Holland. And like uh and I think that's another thing I kinda of took away from I mean that's sort of been a, a building idea that, you know, maybe Eisenhower wouldn't necessarily be GM specifically, but like president or some some other executive capacity other than like you know the one we're all conditioned to think of as the you know the decision maker like it's certainly possible that they could work in conjunction together so i think like there are relevant takeaways from that article but i don't think it's the kind of thing where people need to panic that something is imminent so the big question and uh, you're gonna hate me for asking this and it won't be the last time i'll warn you right now <laughs> gun your head does Eisenman end up as part of the Red Wings organization sometime this summer? Yeah, you have a gun to my head. I don't want to piss you off. <laughs> <laughs> Max, that is the best answer anybody's given Ryan to that question, and he's asked it about 37 <laughs> times now. Oh, man. Um, no, I think – I really do. I think, you know, it's just hard to not – it's hard to not think that based on every every little, you know, like maybe the slowest incremental leaks that have ever – incrementally leaked so yeah. like is there really ever anything pointing any other direction the honestly this only inkling i saw was this new york thing everything like bob yeah. Frege, everyone else is pointing towards detroit so I, i've got to think that as well all right Matt. Put, oh. sir go ahead max no i said but i said so please put the gun down <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i'm canadian i don't know how to use it okay good okay so yeah, so circling back to the Cronwall point, though, because um, one of the big points of contention amongst Red Wings fans since your article came out mentioning um, that Holland thinks Cronwall has it in him to come back next season. If you look at the Red Wings roster with all the vets and all the space available, as of right now, there would not be space available for Heronic and Chalosky to be regulars next year unless they bump out a Daly, an Erickson, whoever it might be. Where do you get – what vibe are you getting from the organization in terms of what they're going to do at the back end next year? I don't know that there has necessarily been like a vibe to pick up on at this point. Like there's still – everything they're going to say is like let's see what happens with like Cromwell first. And you know, they're not going to want to put the cart, cart above the horse there. I'll say there's two different ways I could see it going. Like I think it's not – with one year left, a buyout kind of stings because it's like, ah, oh, you could have just got through it. Um, but if like, if the cost of that is like Dennis Swarovski's playing time, the buyout's not as big a deal if you know that you're replacing the guy you're buying out with an entry-level contract. Because that's always kind of my thing with buyouts is people, you know, okay, like let's say you buy out, Erickson's deal is what, like four and a half? Uh, if you buy that out, you're paying two and a half over, you know, or 2.2 or whatever for over over two years instead of, you know, four point whatever over one. Um, but if, if you're adding Chalaski in his place, then you're still just paying, you know, three and a half or whatever. So, so you take a little bit of cap flexibility uh, out of next summer. Uh, but if, if, if the benefit of that is Chalaski's playing time, I don't, I think that can be a very real option, like more than maybe I've given the credit for uh, in the past, just as I look at it. The other option is like, did the Redmonds ever have a healthy blue line this year? Like, are we convinced no. that, like, having eight defensemen or whatever, like, actually means that there'd be, like, two people in the press box? Because, like, I think we saw with a lot of old defensemen, there's a lot of injuries, too. 
So that may be the way the Red Wings decide to approach it out of just sheer fear after how decimated their defensemen were all year of like, you know, there's a real good chance that they're never going to have to make those decisions with, with eight healthy guys at one time. Um, you know, so I, I think those are the two ways to look at it. I think a, a buyout maybe makes a little more sense than I've ever given it credit for, right? Just as I look at it right now, but I reserve the right to change my thinking on that as I, <laughs> as I sit down and, and start, you know, really going into off season mode in, in the next couple of weeks here. Yeah. And that's the beauty of this is, uh, despite the disappointment and despite the, uh, Maybe rage is there's a lot of good stuff to talk about. The silver linings that Max just mentioned, uh, we can still obsess over Eisenman. We can obsess over who's coming at six, different buyout scenarios, different contract scenarios, um, and we'll be here for uh, to to harass Max. Weapons down, of course. Uh, Max has a, Max is actually doing this interview um, out of the goodness of his heart at, outside of the bar that he just mentioned uh, with his buddy Matt in the car. So shout out to Max and Matt for, for coming out this night and uh, we'll let you guys go. Uh, Max, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me and, uh, and for timing it up so I can get my article up before we started. I really appreciate that. Max Boltman, everyone. What a jerk that guy. <laughs> no, seriously. Well, you're the one who put a gun to his head. I know. Yeah, that was, uh, that was probably a little bit much. Poor guy. No, we appreciate Max coming on and he's, he's recording with us really late. So that was actually really great of him. Um, it was uh, really interesting. Like you mentioned, uh, before Max had the three players that are floating around, like that's who we're going to be talking about primarily. Primarily. I'm going to fair warning to our listeners. We're going to be focused on certain guys. And I know last year we got really hyper focused on a couple guys. So we're going to try and avoid doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. This year as much, but understand we have a lot of episodes between now and June 23rd or, or whatever it is. So there's going to be a lot of repetition. We're going to go into deep dives on each guy. We're going to start doing our prospect spotlights. We're going to probably do our first like official first round mock draft, I would assume, this Sunday. Sunday. And then we'll probably do another one before the draft because, again, I'm going to be watching a lot more film. I'm sure these guys are. So opinions are going to change yeah. over the next couple yeah, of months. Yeah, a lot but- of uh, film uh, from the games in Augusta. <laughs> it's that time of, of year for Evan. A lot of film. Okay, a lot of film. One, two, three in the Masters. Evan, who you got? Go. Um, I'm taking DJ this weekend. I hope he's staying in a bungalow. If he's not in a bungalow, then I'm not taking him. Golf's weird, man. <laughs> he fell downstairs oh. and like had to withdraw from the two years ago. Oh the Masters. Uh, I like him. I like Rory. Um, I don't like Spieth. Um, in general or just for this tournament? I don't think he'll win. I don't think his game's good enough right now. Um, if I had to take someone who's an outsider, Mike Weir. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, he shoots 80 at my at our local course. <laughs> um, Important question, Evan. I'm actually going to cut you off because I guarantee you the next name you name won't matter. Um, six overall for Detroit. Um, in all seriousness, with all reality of who's there, actually, Turcotte, Zegris, Byram are there. Who do you take? Byram. You take, but you're yeah. a Byram guy, yeah. eh? So, I'm Mac- surprised he's not on the London Knights, actually, considering their team is just absolutely oh stacked. Yeah, they're oh. just handling oh. that for Every series been like a sweep so far. I went to the game last night. They're absurd. Like, Guelph is unreal, and they made Guelph look like. A beer league team. I'm glad you mentioned that because I sent out a tweet the other day about how parity is dead in the CHL in junior hockey. I think and all the series as of last night were 2-0. I didn't see what happened. Not just. Sucks, I think uh, 
as of I think it was two days ago, every series in the WHL, QMJHL, and OHL had finished two games and none had gone to three. Every series but one was at 2-0. And in the OHL, not one series got past five games. None. Zero. And only three series didn't end in a sweep. I wonder why. It doesn't make sense. The bad teams get good picks, too. It's because the they trade there's no, everything aggressively dump out their yeah, season. Yeah, trade the deadline. the trade deadline trades in the OHL are nuts. If the NHL was like the OHL trade deadline would be a four day event and nobody would leave their couch. No, it's absurd. Every yeah. like teams tank to all tank. It's like anybody who's over the age of nineteen, if you're not in the top half of the league, is gone. Oh yeah, it's fun though. It is just a different beast, like, because of the nature of the game. Like, if they have you're a two-year, three-year turnover yeah. rate, yeah. right? So they, if they are going to miss their opportunity, it's a, it's a fire sale. Yeah, you absolutely. And it, like, that kind of fire sale we're talking about Columbus doing. or, or Yeah, Columbus. like six teams do what Columbus did per league. Yeah, yeah. essentially. And you're like, but that guy's going to be gone. And they're like, oh, well. Let's go for it. This is our chance. But anyways, we're not here for junior hockey. We're here to no, for no, draft and Red Wings year in review. Uh, so so Max said something which I'm not sure I entirely agree. And this is where my hesitations come from with Byram is, and I'll we'll drill him on it later as well. Um, he he said that a lot of people are projecting Byram to be like a, a top pairing guy, but I think if Byram was like a guaranteed top pairing guy, he'd be the consensus number three, wouldn't he? Not necessarily because. So let's. I'm going to take two very extremes here. Okay, ah, the Winged Wheel Podcast. <laughs> it's the only way I can really hammer home the point. So when I watch Vasily Podkolzin play, the the current NHL player that I I see him projecting to be is Vladimir Tarasenko. When I watch Bowen Byram play, the type of NHL player I see him projecting to be is Morgan Riley. Awful. Both of those players are off. No, it's fan- it's a fantastic problem to have, but at the same time, what do you take? The dynamic offensive force who can change a game, or do you take the the reliable offensive defenseman who's not necessarily going to be a number one, but on a team like Toronto where the defense is weak can definitely carry the load? Now, let me be uh, the devil's advocate against us here. Because I, I'm inclined to agree with you innately, but also last year, and it's still early, I, I'm not ready to, to throw in the towel on this one yet, but our opinions from of Je- or, uh, Quinn Hughes before the draft to now have changed. Because yeah. the guy's been lights out. Yeah. Every indicator has been that this guy's going to be a huge success for them. Possibly the best defenseman out of that draft. I still take Zadina. Uh, Quinn Hughes is a dynamic, elite skater, great puck handler, and generates offense. All those things have been attributed to Bowen Byram as well. I don't think some of the Byram skills are as elite as Hughes's. Byram is a great skater. He is not as good a skater as Quinn Hughes. Bowen Byram is a great passer of the puck. Not as good as Quinn Hughes. Bowen Byram does have a far better goal-scoring touch than Quinn Hughes does, though. I think Byram had uh, near 30 goals as an underager in the dub, which is pretty unheard of. Um, so don't get me wrong. Huge upside. But if you really want to break it down, so here's here's the reality of the situation. When you look as we get deeper and deeper into prospect development, player development, um, from even from very young ages at like 12, 13, 14 years old, the actual talent level between guys at pick three, four, five, six, seven, eight, not even just this draft, but most drafts, it's going to be a minimal difference. 
So it's it's even objectively hard to sit here and say who's the best player available, Pod Colson or Byram. I don't think skill wise there's a huge gap between them. And so what it's coming down to for a lot of teams right now is what impacts the game more. And as the NHL has progressed over the last few years, if you uh, there's been a lot of interesting articles and a lot of analytics that have come out that no, we've we've reversed now forwards have a greater impact on wins than defensemen do. Offense impacts wins more than that. So just by that, if you look at Vasily Podkolzin as Bowen Byram as equal talents, it's the opposite of what most people would think now. But Podkolzin as the scoring forward would have a greater impact on the game. Look at the Toronto Maple Leafs this year. Their defense outside of Riley is objectively not good, but they're one of the best teams in the league because they can score their way out of problems. Tampa, the best offense in the league. Boston only has one offensive forward line and two what I would consider good defensemen, and they're one of the best teams in the league. So it's the the league is changing now, and I think conventional wisdom needs to be flipped. So, again, that's why I'm of the mindset that if I'm sitting there as the Detroit Red Wings, it, let's say the draft goes Hughes, Kako, Podkolzin, Cousins, Doc. So we have the choice of the three, Turcotte, Zegris, or Byram. Right now, as of this moment, I'm leaning Turcotte. I'm leaning Turcotte, too. It's just he would have the biggest impact on the game. And again, like Max said, he's a Dylan Larkin clone. The game, you need playmakers and you need speed in today's NHL. And Turcotte ticks both those boxes. Not to say Zegers is a slow player. He's absolutely not. But if there's, if there's a tiebreaker for me between the two, it's speed. And I'm, I'm, as of this moment, I'm leaning Turcotte. Believe me, I'm going to be watching hours upon hours of footage on all these guys over the next two months. So do not have me married to that opinion, but that's where I'm at at the moment. The, the two, the thing about Turcotte that does it for me is A, his production, like his elite level production up there with Jack Hughes and B, the fact that he has that production and every single coach, scout, family, friend, you know, passerby says this guy plays a 200 foot game. You mean this guy can play two ways and put up that kind of production? We're not talking Dylan Larkin clone here. No. That could possibly be he is the better of him and Dylan Larkin. Well, we picked Dylan Larkin at 15th overall. So if we pick Alex Turk out of sixth overall, objectively, he should be better than Dylan Larkin. If we're, if we're talking in a vacuum. Yeah. Here. yeah. Um, but now again, we're saying this, there's a very, very real possibility that it goes Hughes, Kako, Zegers, Turcotte, Byram. We don't get the choice of any of them. And then we're back to picking an overly skilled winger, which nobody should be upset about. No, no. Uh, this podcast for the people who've been listening for a long time, you'll notice tonal shifts throughout the year. Throughout the season, it's all about hockey that's happening. Uh, in the off season, it's about you know Evan eating pineapples. But leading up to the draft, it's it's draft focused. We're gonna do draft profiles. Uh, we like to learn and adapt year over year as to what you guys like. So what Brad mentioned, we are going to be pouring over video after video after scouting report after scouting report to make sure that we're giving you the best. So we're gonna get away from what players are going to be taking at six right now, but don't worry it, You are going to be hammered home with it in the coming weeks. Yeah. And uh, uh, like we said, first mock is coming first official mock. We've been doing the joking quick mocks for the last little bit, yeah. but now we have a draft order. We're going to put some, a lot of time and effort into it this week. And we're going to put a good amount of time and an in-depth mock this Sunday. So make sure you don't miss that. Cause uh, that will give a, a good insight as to how this draft might play out. Because again, we are not going to sit here and 
do that mock as Wings fans. We're going to do that as each pick. We're the GM of that team. This is who we would pick. So if that means I'm sitting there at as the LA Kings at pick five, and I think Turcotte's the best, I'm going to take Turcotte there and screw over Detroit. That's the way it's going to work. So uh, that, that should be a lot of fun. And again, we're going to do start up our prospect profiles again. Um, so everybody knows who's available, where, what type of player they are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now we're going to transition into the in memoriam, the 2018-19 Detroit Red Wings. The post-mortem, though. What happened? The, huh, the second, oh, my God. The second worst 7-1 loss in sporting history. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We, God, every time Evan wakes up, it's something gold. We didn't even mention that. Okay, so first of all. To Arjun and Brendan, the two ticket winners that we uh, that we brought to the game on Saturday, we are so so sorry. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> even worth it. Got to see eight goals, <laughs> and Detroit scored one of them. Jeff Skinner scored an absolute highlight reel. Oh, right? that was right uh, in front of us. That was Rasmus Dalene. Filthy. Yeah, Dalene. Good. Real time events. Brad goes. I've always wanted to see. I've always said. Uh, no, I always dreamt of watching Rasmus Dalene play in this building, and then. Clunk, Delina roofs it. It was three even seconds later. It was within ten seconds. Yeah, <laughs> I just laughed. <laughs> uh, so, uh, for all of you who came out to the meetup, like, I'm sorry, like uh, uh, pre and post game, as it turned out. Thank you. You came from Carolina. You came from Indiana. You came from Illinois, Michigan. People came from Toronto, all over. Thank you so much. I would love to name all of you, but like, there we actually got such a big turnout for the end. The, the we season were, opener is always way better, but like the end game of a crappy season. We were expecting Buffalo. 10 people, and I think we probably met 30. By the yeah. time I think half the people in the lower bowl were people we met at the bar. <laughs> guy in front of us. I, what's oh, his name? That, that was so funny. So we just strike up a conversation with the dude that's sitting in front of us. <laughs> and uh, you can tell he was a few pops deep, but he was having a good time. We, he needed it to get through that game. And... Uh, Arjun just happens to mention at some point in the park, oh, these guys have a podcast. And the guy's like, no way. And then he's like, yo, let me go subscribe to you on iTunes. And then he goes, pulls it up on iTunes. He's like, what are you guys, uh, what's your name? We're like a winged wheel podcast. He's like, I'm already subscribed to you. No way. That's you guys. He's like, oh, look, I'm subscribed. I promise I'm subscribed. And I I actually, uh, we we brought a bunch of swag to give away. We had uh, (coughs) buttons, magnets, stickers, uh, coasters. Uh, that we gave away at, at the meetup, and uh, because I'm an idiot, all I had on me was one singular magnet that actually Brendan had it on him, and we just gave him another one later. We gave it to the guy, and he was thrilled. It was awesome. I, I texted Mel about it, and she was like, that's so cool. She goes, tell me you guys had some swag on you to give away. I was like, I actually did. And she goes, you guys are so adorably bad at, at, at advertising yourselves. Oh, <laughs> don't include me in that. What did you have on you, boss? Nothing, because you don't give us anything. You hide it in your car like it's some sort of like strange illicit drug. <laughs> it's Detroit. I don't want to leave it out. Yeah, all those people would break into your car and steal our merchandise and give it to all their friends. Actually, oh, yeah, maybe they would be doing a better job than you. <laughs> More important question. Speaking of Ryan's car, that I forgot to ask: Do you still have my case of Diet Coke? Yes, I do. Oh, <laughs> I actually drank another one. You know what? I, I had the lowest expectations for Diet Cherry Coke, and it wasn't. Terrible. It wasn't that bad. For uh, anyone that's not wondering what we're talking about, as we were leaving the LCA after the game, there was this woman out there who just literally had a 
pallet of diet cherry coke and she's like yeah just take a case and you should, we'll- should probably say lca staff it wasn't just a woman yeah what yeah well, was it LC- was it lca staff i, I think LCA it was staff. just okay it was their- i didn't know if it was like a coke sponsorship or lca staff or who I she think was, was like but- the giveaway stuff that they have and yeah. they just had extra inventory it was supposed to be given away and brad's not kidding we're talking pallet like a giant like there's four pallets i think five foot by five foot cube of 24 packs of diet Diet Coke, it was like dark cherry or something. Feisty cherry. Feisty cherry. Not bad. As I was walking. It'd be a lot better if they sponsored us. (laughs) (laughs) It was unnamed soda brand or pop brand, depending on where you are. Some type of fruit flavor. Yeah. Uh, We were were walking out and they had the LCA staff lined up. Outside of like just at the edge of the uh, the big plaza they have like the Chevy Plaza whatever it's called or the, the unnamed car brand <laughs> and uh, they're like I heard some of them whispering like oh they get to take it home and another one's like yeah we're not allowed to have any so I opened up the box and I let them grab it as I'm walking past <laughs> well, the woman was like oh you can take one I was like oh nice and I see her just like give someone a full case so by one she meant case oh, yeah I was I was looking forward was like, to oh, my okay. one diet coke so I was just like six guys walking down the street with two fours of coke <laughs> yeah it was. Yeah. Anyways, I have a uh, I have your Coca Coca Cola in my car, Brad. Um, it's funny too. Getting back to the game too. Is it sad that two of the highlights of that game for me happened as I was walking up the stairs to the concourse? At the end of the game, I'm just walking up, and then I feel a tap on the shoulder. Hey, man, love the podcast. I'm just like, I know. I was right behind Don't. you, and I was like, sorry. It sounded like he said, "Hey, man, love the podcast." <laughs> It's like never, those words have never been spoken. Getting recognized now. in public will never not feel weird, and it's the coolest thing ever. But uh, at 20 minutes earlier, at the intermission, uh, we were walking out into the concourse, and there's this dude that's just standing at the end of the concourse. Looks like he's waiting for someone. And everybody's just walking past him. I'm walking up. I'm like, that's Chris Chelios. And I get closer. I'm like, that's definitely Chris Chelios. And nobody's saying anything to him. I'm like, that's 100% Chris Chelios. And I didn't want to be the guy that stops. But I, so I just yelled, hey, Chelly, good to meet you. I shook his hand and kept walking. He's like, hey, I don't man. want to be the guy who stops and says anything. But I'm going <laughs> to physically touch this person <laughs> who's trying to avoid everyone. Just right a now. quick handshake. Moved on. I walked <laughs> past him after. And like I just kind of nodded at him. Yeah. And he looked at me with like horrified eyes. Like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Yeah, no, we're not. We're going to stop and ask for autographs. We went to the wrong spot if he was looking to avoid. People. Yeah, no, that was that was you, a real poor call. He went to the lower bowl of a game or team where the only fans who are there are going to be the ones who know the players. And it's like 5-1 at the time. We're not married to our seats at that point. No. Uh, yeah, it was cool going. It was cool going to the game. We knew what to expect. And you know what? Everyone was a winner of that game because if you cheered for the tank, great. And if you cheered for great hockey, well, you saw one team play it. <laughs> I'm so happy Buffalo did not win the draft lottery because that would have just ruined me as a person. Buffalo, Okay, I, I have a lot of complaints about the draft lottery, but truly, like when all of the frustration in the moment dissipates, the two things that I'm going to be happiest about is A, it's not Edmonton, and B, it's not Buffalo. <laughs> well... And three it's, three, it's not. Can you imagine having Eichel and Hughes as your one-two centers? <laughs> Holy. Oh, my God. Now, and Buffalo is like, that's Amer- in terms of like hockey market, that's America's team. You want a really cool silver lining that someone tweeted at me that I that didn't even register to me because Colorado holds Ottawa pick? Nope. Detroit has the highest pick of anybody in our division this year. That's actually fantastic news. So there you go. That's something. Oh, what else happened in our division this week? What else happened? A lot of coaches got fired. Phil Hosley. Oh, Florida Panthers hired Joel Quenville. Man, they're going to be stacked next year. Is Quenville going to bring Panarin with him? Yeah, it's happening. And Bobrovsky. Yeah. We'll get to that. Can our division just like be more Ottawa, less Toronto here, please? And thank you. (laughs) 
We'll get to that. I do want to talk about the season in review. Um, we we talked with Max about the the, the Vanek thing. That was actually news to me that that was being taken out of context. Oh, thank God. Um, here's the I'm thing. not ruling it out yet because no, not ruling it out. It's completely in Ken Holland's wheelhouse. Uh, there's a lot of like I criticize Ken Holland for a lot of things. One of them is his propensity to bring back the Thomas Vanek's of the world. <laughs> hey, Literally, they, Thomas Vanek. Hey, they yeah. said we would have been right in, and if we weren't injured. So yeah, that's oh, a, that, that, that hurts my that. eyes and ears. Okay, so the players now to the that, actual in-review of the season. <laughs> the players saying that is one thing, because what else are they going to say? No, we have bad players. They'll never say that. They The players are always going to talk about compete level and the fact that they thought that they could have done it. And, you know, I don't blame them for saying that. I think they're objectively wrong, but that's for us to say and for them to not give a shit about. The, the genuine notion that they were a few injuries away, how many points were they out of the playoffs? Like 24? Yeah, and the most of the injuries did not occur till near the end of the season, save Mike Green. After we were eliminated? <laughs> yeah. That's 24, probably the way it shakes out, regulation win or 12 regulation wins in difference. That is not a little bit. That is a substantial. And it's not a coincidence that as soon as Abdelkader, Erickson, and Daly were done for the season, the Red Wings went on a winning streak. Maybe just don't say anything at all about being injuries away from anything. No. Now, you could definitely make the case that uh, Mantha missing close to six weeks didn't help. Larkin missing a handful of games didn't help. Athanasiu missing a handful of games didn't help. Cholosky missing a bunch of games didn't help, but that's for entirely different reasons. Um, Mike Green being out for a good chunk of the season. Okay, that's that's the one veteran injury argument I it's will say gotta be a, actually hurts. It's got to just be a talking piece because you look at the teams that just missed out on the playoffs. They roll us nine and a half out of ten games every time. Now, Can you imagine it, us, them thinking we're a playoff team? Now the one, We'd get rolled by anybody in the playoffs. Oh, it'd be... It, we would lose in three to any playoff team right now. Yeah. Now, if... The one reason I could see them saying this that I would actually understand why they're saying that is Ken Holland, part of his job, whether we want to admit it or not, is to sell tickets next year. So if he can convince some of the fan base that, hey, no, we are better than what we were, but look at all the injuries we had. We should be better next year. Fine. To, to the casual fan who shows up to a couple games a year, watches a few games on TV, doesn't follow it as closely as most of us do. I could see that. Okay, yeah, no, you're right. I, everybody was out. That's fine. Yeah, we should be better next year. I, I don't know how you could be a casual fan and still not see how obvious Evan, that is. Evan, have you ever spent time in the Facebook comments? Yes, I did spend time in the Facebook comments when we extended Blast Hill, and it wasn't as bad as I expected. Yeah, but this is also the place <laughs> that thinks Witkowski is the reason we went on the winning streak. Oh, okay? Evan's aware. He just told you he went to the Facebook comments. Yeah, I <laughs> spent uh, a good hour or so going through the comments. and mm-hmm. um, It's like the upside down of hockey opinions. It is, but you know what? There was actually some that were <laughs> marginally correct. Okay, even if every single player that missed games due to injury, you can attribute that to a plus in the wins column. Like, that is a missed opportunity for wins, which it's not the case. But if you assigned a positive amount of wins that could be associated with those games if they weren't lost for Detroit, you couldn't make up more than five more games. Why didn't he just say, instead of we're injuries away, be like... Our young guys stepped up in a big way who are the future of this team, and hopefully next year we'll be competing for a playoff spot because they've proven they can get us wins. Because hey, they're my assistant coach. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. You're the new Chris Draper. Uh, because you, you, Ken Holland's just not going to go and dump all over the vets like that. 
Well, he kind of dumped over all the kids that are supposed to be there in the future. I agree. It's it's a no-win situation. He's in a no-win situation, really. say less. Less yeah. is more. Being vague would have been key there. Yeah, it was a disappointing season, but we know next year will be better. Next question. Yep, there you go. Done. We uh, Max mentioned the uh, Ken Holland kind of laughing it off, and I'm happy people aren't like reading too much into that. And if you are, don't. Because at this point, as someone who this is hypocritical, but is kind of similar to Ken Holland in the way when people ask like a personal question like that, I'm like, how do you want me to answer it? Like, what do you want me to say? At that point, I would just be hysterical about it. I would laugh it off. What else? Are you, like, what the hell else are you supposed to that. do? Like, oh my god. Well, it's the most it's the most prevalent news now that Coach Q is is taken up. It's the most prevalent news in, in hockey administration. Like, it's just going to be talked about to Kingdom Come. Now, here's the here's the thing. If Ken Holland and Steve Eisman are as good friends as they claim, and they talk as often as they claim, do you really believe that Ken Holland doesn't know what Stevie's doing? I, I genuinely believe that Stevie is ironclad. He does not say a word. I don't I, even think – I don't even think he would have entertained a conversation with Chris Illich if Chris Illich, like, tried to backdoor Well, he'd talk. still be contractually obligated with Tampa, so – Until what, July 1? They would need – yeah, so I don't even – they would need permission, I think, to – No, but if Chris Illich backdoored it, you know? But oh, even even take, even take Chris Illich out of this. Like, if I'm Steve Eisman and you're Ken Holland, right, and we're talking every week like we normally would because we're friends, you don't think you would ask me what's up? Hey, are you taking my job? Are you going to try? Like, I, I would try to get that out of him. Now, it's fully plausible. He'd be like, yeah, I'm not saying a damn thing. But if they've been friends for that long – I don't think he says it. Dude, Breezebois was surprised in Tampa when he announced he was stepping down. Uh, yeah, but they actually knew like a month before they announced it, though, didn't they? They mentioned that. I could have sworn. I could be misremembering. Dude, the only per like, they announced it very soon after. He told the owner. Um, I, I, I can't remember his name. Vinny or something with a V. LeCavalier? Vinick. No. Jeff Vinick. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> is LeCavalier? LeCavalier is not an no. owner. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm um, just making that up. Jeff Vinick. Oh. He told him. Very, I believe it was very soon before the announcement, and the only delay was that they probably just had to formulate the words that they were going to say. Eiserman has like he is stone like again, like we mentioned on the podcast with other Evan or Steve Dangle, whatever his name is. Um, I like the biggest names, the most connected names in hockey. Bob McKenzie, Elliot Friedman, have had no inkling of what he's going to do. Just general notions. That's good enough for me for now. Yeah, let's worry about that closer to July 1 because we could beat that to death every week, and I'm sure we will. Yep, yeah, you. if you're running a podcast, you kind of need a couple things to talk about because you can't just fix it on one. So we'll switch between draft and Eisman. Okay, yeah. so you're in review. Let's talk about the positives. Dylan this, Larkin. This, this, was a, this was a rough season. What are the positives we can take away from this season? Philip Peronic looks like a full-time player for sure. That That's the one I wanted to talk about that not a lot of people are – not as many people are mentioning as – they should. Heronic was good, good. Not just, hey, this was a rookie in his first NHL season and he did better than expected good. Philip Heronic looked like a top two defenseman towards the end of the season. It's good. definitely good story number three for me. He His hockey sense is off the charts. He was better defensively than I ever thought he would be at this stage in his career. And the dude competes, man. He's got that. You can just tell that gear, that there, there's nothing less than top speed for him. Uh, we were, we were laughing that one uh, five on three in the Sabers game, where, where the Fords were kind of slow playing the puck, and Heronic would just go back to the blue line and come in, just stick fully cocked, shaking, just yeah. like give me the puck, give me the puck. 
puck, give me the puck, give me the puck. And they wouldn't pass. And he'd circle back. He'd come in again. Puck, 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 puck. And then they finally gave it to him. And he almost put a hole through the boards. He shot so hard and it just missed the net. He, that's the guy where it is so apparent that he got sent down and he was pissed off about it and came back. And when he came back up, he wanted to prove. He was like, all right, fine. You want 110? Here's what 110 looks like. Never send me down again. Philip Ronick should never be a healthy scratch. Should never see another game in Grand Rapids after this playoff run. Ever, ever, ever. This guy is a top two defenseman on this team next season. Yeah, on this team, he's legit. He legitimately should be top pairing. If you're worried about Dennis Cholowski, put him with Philip Ronick at this point. <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly, that 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 might legitimately be Detroit's first pairing in two years. Um, honestly, yeah, Hironik was a huge, huge, huge plus. Uh, another one I want to talk about, and I know so much of this is just a concentrated amount of production that came at this that insane streak at the end of the year. But Anthony Mantha, 30-goal pace, 25-goal season. Over 25-goal season, and he only played 60, 60 games in change, I believe. Yeah, over a 30-goal pace. Three 30-goal scorers. The Red Wings were the only team in the league, four players, under the age of 25 to register 20 goals. One of only two teams in the league to do that. He is, and that was, he had a streaky season. He did not look good for large parts of that season. So what you're looking at is a guy who has the talent. Maybe, maybe won't do it, but the talent in him to put up 40 goals. Like more than once Uh, while he was on. a, If you just took all his games this year where he played on that line with Larkin and Bertuzzi, he's at a 40 goal pace. Damn near 50 with the way that season ended. You're looking at (laughs) it. Honestly, like if you're looking at all like pie in the sky season, you're looking at him 60, 70 point player. He had 16 points in his final nine games. Now, let me preface by saying. That's only a nine-game sample size. But do you know how effing hard it is to put up 16 points in nine games in the NHL? There's a reason schlubs don't do it ever. There's a reason third-line players don't ever put up that kind of production. Anthony Mantha is the most skilled player on this team. If he can find any sort of... His raw tools, I still think, are stronger than Larkin's. I think Larkin's hockey sense is ahead of... Mantha, and that's what gives him the advantage. So I will sit here and say Larkin is the better player. I think Mantha's the best goal scorer. He's the best goal scorer. He's fast for his size, and he's got probably the best snapshot on this team. Everything is there for him to be an, a, 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 I'm not going to say elite, but first line legitimate pro- producer. Now, you said fast for his size, and you're right. The dude can move. The one thing he has to shake from this game is his when he just kind of gives up. Yeah. I cannot, he'll get dumped behind the board or behind the play and he'll just get on all fours and like get up on one knee, like hand on his, his hip and like looking at the ref. And he's like, French man. Uh, pick it up, buddy. Like you gotta go. Like you, you, you can't let that be the crap that drags you down. Consistency effort. Consistency of effort is his issue, which Brad, do not go into a black show rant. Do not go into a black show rant. And we're back. Okay. So, if they keep that line together all of next season, we should expect it. <laughs> oh, Brad. <laughs> what a fool you are. You know what? Yeah, I'm not even going to make the point I was going to make because that's not going to happen. So, But anyways, positive was Anth- the way Anthony Mantha finished. Tyler Bertuzzi was one of two players where before the season we said, if this is a guy that wants the spot that he thinks he has on this team, he needs to take a big step up. He didn't take a big step up. He took a huge took step Took two up. of them. Yeah. Two yeah. steps and a sucker punch, This that guy this season. <laughs> yeah. Tyler Bertuzzi is one of the best stories to come out of the Detroit Red Wings this season and in a long while. Top six player on this team. For sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, 
Uh, one thing that I do want to caution at, because it's been a very prevalent thing of, uh, I keep seeing through hockey Twitter, like if Bertuzzi's this good this year, imagine how good he'll be next year. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's cool it. The dude's 24 years old. This is probably what he is. There might be some improvement. I'm not going to sit here and say Tyler Bertuzzi won't get better. Tyler Bertuzzi is the player whose game does not revolve around speed, so he should probably age pretty well. I don't think he's a 30-goal scorer. I don't think he's going to be a 60-70 point player. I'm, I'll be pleasantly surprised if I'm wrong, but he's, he's 24, year old, 24 years old. He's in his prime. This is about what he is. But if he's a 25-25 guy every year, amazing. He was a throw-in on a trade that got us Anthony Manta. He's amazing. What like that? We're talking about free assets. That's, he was him and Philip Ronick were free assets for on trade backs in the draft. He has the tenacity and hustle and talent to be the right blend of, you know, Blashill. Uh, we want winners on this team only and actually skilled enough to play where Blashill is going to play him. Um, he's going to win the trust of th- this coaching staff and, and this management and actually do something with that ice time. He has chemistry with Dylan Larkin, which is probably the most important thing if you're a player on this team not named Dylan Larkin is to have chemistry with Dylan Larkin until they add another asset like a, a, a Turcotte or something. The most important thing is that you work well with Dylan Larkin. Now, here's the thing, too. Objectively speaking, from a talent perspective, is Tyler Bertuzzi a first-line player in this league? No. No, he is not. But uh, – and I think Prashanth was uh, one of the guys who's trumpeting this earlier in the year – Stats are showing that to be a good team in the NHL, it's actually better to disperse talent throughout your lineup. So you can throw it a good second line and a good third line. So if you have a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi, who has amazing chemistry with Dylan Larkin, and you can put him on the first line. So then all of a sudden, Philip Zadina and Andreas Athanasiu can be your second line wingers. Oh my God, that's how you build a winner. Now, this is all in the, the assumption that we can move Athanasiu back to wing, which is possible because A, Joe Valeno turns into a second line center, which is possible, or we draft one this year, Zegris, Turcotte, Cousins, whoever it might be. A, all of a sudden, we have balance in the lineup because as good as that first line was uh, this year for Detroit... The rest of the forward group outside of Andreas Athanasiu was atrocious. With outside of the flashes from Hiroshi at the end of the year and, and Rasmussen had a pretty decent start, there there wasn't there wasn't anything else there to write home about. If you want to know why there's such a focus on having great center depth, like two star centers, um, we get to move Andreas Athanasiu back to the wing. Every nearly every measurable metric uh, about. Athanasiu's experiment at center showed that he was more effective and sometimes far more effective at the wing. There's some things that went better for him from an offensive, from an offensive perspective, perspective. Um, defensive. But like, if you you don't focus on where you put Andreas Athanasiu for the defensive part of the season, yeah, he's a specialist. Yeah. You understand that you and you have to. So the the luxury of moving Athanasiu back to the wing without putting like a Dilla Rose or a Helm as his center is huge. If Athanasiu has to be the stopgap at center next year until a Valeno or a Turcotte or a Zegris is ready, cool. It's not going to hurt Athanasiu's development to play center. It's going to help it. But when you're a championship team, hey, move him back. Have some fun. Yeah. Free him uh, up. Another great obvi- – the most obvious, and we could talk for a million hours or one second about this and everyone would get the gist, Dylan Larkin. Dylan Larkin – 
proved us wrong in the best of ways because we said right now, you know, however many months ago, we said right now we see him as a good second-line center but not a first-line center. But he has the potential, and if he takes a big step this year, he could prove us wrong. And he's young enough that that step could still be coming. He's 22 years old. He's not even in his prime productive years yet. Yeah. Two more years before we see, like, and that's still, it's it's a range from 24 to 26, depending on what you buy into. Yeah, 23 to 25 seems to be nowadays. So Dylan Larkin at 80 points is something, as long as some, nothing, like, goes crazy awry for him, is something that you can count on. Now, to play both devil's Should advocate and on. agree. So the one thing Dylan Larkin had going against him this year in this career is he spent way too much time of this season with Darren Helm or Justin Ablocator on his wing. And Dylan Larkin damn near hit a point per game this year while neither of those two players hit 20 points. That is absurd that you could put he – was, he was essentially playing shorthanded a bunch of shifts from an offensive perspective. Now, the counter in the favor of why his numbers might have been a little higher than they otherwise would have been on a good team is because of the bottom nine of the Red Wings was so bad this year, he was playing an unholy amount of minutes. So he was getting the opportunity to create the offense, but he capitalized on it. So when the Red Wings get really good, will Larkin be playing 22, 23, 24 minutes a night? Probably not. So that might bring back his production a little bit, but that's countered by, hey, Maybe he actually does play the full season with Mantha or Bertuzzi next year instead of Abdelkader or Helm. You want the guy playing the most impactful minutes he can, and that's not volume. That's, you know, situational. Yeah. If we, if he could be scaled back a minute or two a night and playing pretty much an only high, like not only high priority scenarios, but you know, you have him out there when you need him out there. And the guy's not gassed from just playing on a line with Abdelkader and Hirose or whatever the freaking line gets drawn up. Larkin is is a success story for Detroit. Larkin is really the envy of a lot of the league right now. They want a lot of teams want that player that was drafted, you know, 16th overall to turn out to be their number one center. Or what did we say? And I'm going to draw this back to Turcotte. What have we said a lot this year? Maybe Larkin uh, can't be the best player on a cup winning team, but a lot of Larkins would sure make a cup winning team. What what do they call Turcotte? A Larkin clone. The prophecy is being production. fulfilled. <laughs> the prophecy is being fulfilled. Those are success stories. Any other success stories before we get into a little bit of the doom and gloom? So yeah, let's let's pick our, our off the cuff success stories that might not get because obviously the the emergence of Chalosky and Heronic were obvious. Bertuzzi, Larkin, Athanasio, Mantha were the obvious. So Howard's a great stopgap next year on a great contract. Bernie was all right. Yeah, Bernie. They're both. That's the goalie situation's fine. Just as it was fine this year, it's fine for next year. I'm going to take the free asset. Approach to positive. Taro Hirose might actually be a player. His hockey IQ impressed the ever-living hell out of me. He was weak on the puck and his top end speed's not great, but when that puck was on his stick and he had space, he knew what to do with it. And the nice thing is, the things that he needs to work on are, e- are not easily improved, but they can be improved. A good summer in the gym, and all of a sudden we have a player there. Now here's my thing. The Red Wings do not have good roster management when it comes out to clearing the bottom end. Oh, he's in Grand Rapids for sure. Or two or more of Hiroshi and De La Rose, Abdulkader, Glenn Denning, whatever, bottom six guys are all up. Like, they're really, 
Hiroshi should be a third, a fourth line player that slots up on the third line. I think Hiroshi's better than a fourth line player. He's got the talent for it. I legitimately think he's going to be a good third line winger, possibly second line winger. I think I think second line's really. Optimistic, it's optimistic, truly. but again, the number one thing to creating a good hockey player. Look at Tyler Bertuzzi because he's not the most skilled player in the world. A good hockey IQ will trump all, and Hiroshi clearly thinks the game at a high level. Now, the problem is he'll either get bumped out or he'll be bumping out someone who... Yeah, because right now, like, if you look at the projected roster for next year, so let's assume they keep that top line together, then the second line is probably shaping up, like, Athanasiu, Zadina, between Zadina and, I'll say, oh, God, Helm. No, <laughs> oh, yeah. Honestly. Um, third line could be... Nielsen between Rasmussen and Svechnikov or Hiroshi, depending who has a better camp between Svechnikov and Hiroshi. Then you bump the other one down to the fourth line and he plays with Della Rose and Abdelkader or N and Abdelkader and then the odd man out sits in the press box. So there is the very real possibility that there's a spot here for Hiroshi, but that likely means bumping one of Della Rose and, and Abdelkader into the press box. And we know Blashill doesn't like to banish his defensive specialist. And I forgot Glenn Denning. So it would have to be two of those guys going to the press box. And that's assuming they don't bring back Vanek and they don't make a big splash in free agency. So, so when you guys say, why are you guys shrieking about Vanek? That contract doesn't mean anything. It's not about the contract. It's not about the cap. It's about the roster. Now, and as Max was mentioning too, you he would not be surprised if the Red Wings carried eight defensemen next year, which would only leave one spot for Ford in a press box. So who are you sending to the minors out of that group? Like Evan said, it's probably Hiroshi. It's, it's the wrong call as of this moment. But it'll probably be him. And that, Although I did hear one thing um, about because Svechnikov didn't play this year, he might actually be waiver eligible next year. Yes. Oh, so that, that might he might be the guy to go down then still too because yeah. he'll be rehabbing. And that's like a that's a small benefit. Obviously, it's not great that they lost a year of development for a guy who not wasn't a fringe player but really needed yeah. to prove a spot on the team. It would take a monumental summer for him to make the Red Wings next year. I He's had so. a full year of hockey. I think so too, and I think people forget that Evan. Honestly, is like they they keep like mocking him like up on the second or third line. I'm like, the guy has a lot to prove now. Third line winger, and that's going to come with a hell of a preseason. Yeah, Svechnikov's going to ca- have to come in and absolutely wow them. Now, that's not to say we're giving up on Svechnikov as a prospect, but expectations need to be. He's going to have more rust than the Tin Man, so you know, starting out in Grand Rapids wouldn't be the worst thing to get your timing and no. your feel back. Absolutely and, and, not. And going back to your Vanek point, there's a very real possibility that Hiroshi and Svechnikov go to Grand Rapids next year, which is, again, objectively the wrong call. You need to be developing the young guys in the NHL, but it could very well happen. And you know, it wouldn't what? be the worst thing ever for those two specific no, players. No, and again, those aren't the guys who are going to make or break your organization. No. But these are also the type of decisions where if you make enough of these small, poor decisions, it starts to add up. I mean, that's welcome to the Red Wings since 2013. <laughs> I'm aware, right. Ryan. I'm aware. Um, remind me, don't let me f- like finish the statement. Next year, the Detroit Red Wings will be. We won't do that this episode. We won't do the doom and gloom right now. Hey, there. I, I legitimately have some optimism for next year to see some significant progress. I think that top line, twelve wins worth. Who's not twelve wins worth? But no, I, I'm saying like maybe they're the the Montreal of this year. Where hey, they got pretty close to the playoffs unexpectedly. That's eleven wins worth. 
<laughs> Montreal had 96 points. You're getting missed. Well, you're getting way too specific on the example I'm giving here. Yeah, this is coming. I've stared at the standings far too. They long also had a Jonathan Drewhan who was a, just a ghost for 24 games. Mm. Yeah, but they also pointed 24. But they also had uh, players unexpectedly step up that you weren't counting on, and Detroit could have that. It's very well possible. Nobody expected Kakanyami to make it this year. Yeah, and he did. What a wild! That story. could be Joe Valeno next year. I'm not saying it will. Didn't be. Didn't everyone expect Kakanyami to make it? Wasn't he spo- like so smart that he was NHL ready? So what was I remember very clearly going into? I think the everyone season, said he because he lo- was tiny that they're like, oh, oh he, he needs frail. time. The, the prevalent opinion around Kakanyami was. He probably shouldn't be in the NHL this year. He needs the extra year of development like Zadina did. But because Montreal was so short at center, they figured he would end up playing. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, because he was, he is now their franchise centerman. Didn't they scratch him? Yeah, he was a healthy scratch short at the end of the year. His his season went very much uh, different positions, but very much mirrored Chalosky. Oh, yeah. You know, 82 games of pro hockey as a, as a smaller framed human being. That uh, that want, grinds on your body real quick. But like I was saying, if, if the top line performs as it did... If Athanasiu repeats, if one of Svechnikov or Rossi turns out to actually have a pretty good year, Rasmussen takes a step. It's not unreal, unrealistic to think Detroit takes a step at offense. And then again, a full season of Chalosky and Hronik, who are further along in their development, could be a step on the back end. Mike Green playing a full healthy season, ideally. I don't think I think we're I think this year we saw the significant decline of Mike Green and also Mike Green will not play a full healthy season. We have no, to stop no, he won't. But DeKaiser did kind of rebound this year. DeKaiser had a good year. I, I'm saying, as much as I would love to say that the Red Wings are going to get Lafreniere or be right in the running next year, I I legitimately think it'll be a disappointment if the Red Wings don't jump up five to ten wins next year. No, we I you're right, and I I think anyone expecting. Another like lottery contender. If you want Detroit to be to get Lafreniere next year, you have to hope for like a maybe not as far up as Chicago was, but a similar thing where you know what the other problem is. All the other teams except for Ottawa have made already significant improvements to their already significantly better teams than us. Eh, Buffalo. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo's looking a lot better than us. They might not have Jeff Skinner next year. They might not. But we is. might have Jeff Skinner next year. <laughs> well, well, oh, <laughs> and that's another thing to consider. This is the first year in a long time where we can say anything can happen in free agency. Detroit has a lot of money to play with. Anything can happen. We could even agency. sign a guest Nyquist. Yeah. Skinner could come. Carlson could come. Not anything I'd put any money down on, but the oh, guy could. If I objectively would not put a solid bet on Detroit landing any of the big free agents, but they have the money to do For it. For the if first they time wanted. in a while, yeah, they have that freedom. Just don't sign Thomas Vanek. But that being that. said, I have a feeling even if they do, Detroit won't be able to get out of their own way. With the Ericsons, the Dailies, the Abdelkaders, the Helms, the Glenn Dennings of the world. Let's get to the – it's a season interview. It's a postmortem. What went wrong? Uh, Everything we didn't mention that went well. Here's one thing I want to bring up, and I don't want to say we've been playing nice, but we try to avoid you know relentlessly harping on something. But a lot of the, the faults of this season I do attribute to Jeff Blasio. I agree. Um, this was the season that I was hoping he would get it. He would understand that youth helps in the NHL, and he didn't. Up until he got injured towards the end of the season, Rasmussen was playing nine minutes a game. I'm not sitting here and saying Rasmussen had a good season. He would actually fall into my disappointment category. But at the same time, nine minutes a night is not going to develop a guy like that. I His over-reliance on the Ericsons, the Dailies, the Cronwells of the world, the... 
lack of progress of Cholosky and the lack of progress uh, of Mantha until the last couple weeks of the season, that's on the coach. If it was just one or two players, fine. That's just a bad player not progressing the way he should. Darren Helm and Justin Ablocator eating up the majority of the season on Darren Hel- on Dylan Larkin's wing is a joke. These are guys who could not put up 20 points this year playing on the first line regularly. Can't happen. It's just, I want to sit here and say that first line is going to stick together next year. I want to sit here and pencil Philip Zadina in on the second line next year. I want to sit here and say that at least one of Hiroshi and Svech- or Sveshkov will be on the team next year. I want to sit here and say with confidence that Dennis Cholosky will even be on this team next year. And I can't because Jeff Blashill doesn't get it. And he it's what four years now of not getting it. It's not going to change at this point. And this season was the poster child for it. He's been extended two years. Uh, and we've said before, and there's no getting around it now because he is the coach. This next year has to be when he when it clicks, right? Like, there's so many different litmus tests you can take. Like, for example, that line, and, and you know, lines should be broken up throughout. The, they're very rarely will you find a line consistent for an entire. Not when they're clicking like they were. That line should not be broken up until they stop clicking and stop clicking for. A long I, time. No, I'm gonna even argue that they should not be broken up for any of the 82 games next year because. Hockey players are human. Every one of them goes through slumps. That line will have a stretch of five to ten games where they score four goals. Barkov's not human, but uh, your point still stands. It's fine, and you can't hit the panic button. Because even we were, we noted, we were talking in the stands at the in the first period of that Buffalo game before it went all off the rails. It was uncanny how they tossed the puck around despite none of them being natural playmakers. That line had legitimate, visible chemistry. He gets this trade carbon copy from mike babcock oh it's like he never left it's i turn on the leafs games and their lines are different every time they come back from a commercial break (laughs) it's the exact same and yet you look at a team like the boston bruins they will not break up that bergeron pasternak Marshawn line no matter how weak their bottom line is because they know that that line is good enough they roll everybody (laughs) They can mask the deficiencies below them, and you can just play that line 25 minutes a game. And that line is about to give the Toronto Maple Leafs hell. Yeah, Colorado, same thing. You can argue Colorado is objectively not a good team, and their bottom nine is atrocious. But damn it, that line was so good, it got them to the playoffs. And again, I understand, and it gets back to my Bertuzzi point. I'm not saying put all your best players on the first line, but this line, this specific line has the chemistry. Play it. And they used this line earlier in the year and then broke them up. Jumble lines two, three, and four. Who gives a shit about those ones? Just keep the one that has a shown uh, obvious promise and obvious potential going forward. There, here, There's a situation which we've seen for the past four years. And I want to say, if I'm going to, in the future, admit egg on my face and, and eat crow and what have you about Jeff Blaschel, I need, to, I need this situation to never happen again. Oh, we were down a goal... Uh, late in the game, and uh, I didn't think, uh, you know, Mantha was doing it on the first line, and Glenn Denning worked his butt off all game, and uh, he had the energy we needed out there, so we threw him up there with Larks to see if we can get something going. Just because no you that. work hard doesn't mean you're going to score goals. <laughs> Preach, Evan. Preach. No 
more throwing guys who once scored 20 goals when when Pavel Datsuk used him as a backboard or once had a great series against Tyler Johnson. I love Luke Lindenning. He had a great series against Tyler Johnson. Oh, he's a great sound like player. the 92 Jays. He's – I'm not good enough on that reference, but I'm assuming it was Oh, good. Toronto just talks about how they won back-to-back oh, World Series yeah. like it was yesterday. There, there cannot be any more – putting Vanek up on, on the top line. There's no more of that. The time is now Larkin Bertuzzi Mantha. A good indication that he might be getting it is if you see the eight the lines increase by age as you go through the lines. So yeah. the one, two are relatively young, three, four decrepit and old. Now the question is, is that because he's getting it or because the lineup literally forces his hand? Oh, Did the injuries no force his hand? It was a little bit of both. There oh. was he didn't have a lot to play with. Beyond Are you saying this like this uh, past? Like oh, I meant like next season. Oh, okay. You want to know my biggest, and it's not the only, and it's maybe not the most significant one, but to me, that what will be the most important barometer of Jeff Blashill's success as a coach, where Jeff, where uh, um, Philip Zadina is at the end of the season. I want to see next his season. Yeah. I want to see how his progression goes, how he's utilized, the minutes he's playing, his development, what goes right, what goes wrong. If he's playing up in the NHL, down in the A, that like so much of that lays in his hands. There has been a lot to suggest that he's not been good with developing players who've needed the help developing. And there's been some to suggest that he's been great with it. And that's maybe one of the big silver linings that we turn a blind eye to. Philip Zadina will be the true te- like telltale of that, that whole metric. Now, Here's where I'm going to defend Jeff Blashill a little bit. So if we're just looking at Red Wings who are under contract or team control next year. After next year? Dylan Larkin. So I'm, I'm basically I'm not counting Vanek in this because let's just assume he's not back. Larkin, Athedisiu, Mantha, Bertuzzi. Those are the only four Detroit Red Wings to score north of 10 goals this season. 10 Franz Nielsen had 10. Luke Lindenning, who we paint as the perfect fourth-line center, no offense to his game, was tied for sixth on this team in goals this year. Luke Glendenning. Michael Rasmussen had eight. Darren Helm had seven. Justin Adlocator had six. And then you get into uh, Jacob Delarose had three. Christopher N. had three. That is a big yikes. That is... That is objectively what went the most wrong for Detroit this year. Not just that these vets, for the most part, got worse. They fell off a cliff. Justin Ablocator is no longer an NHL player. Franz Nielsen maybe, maybe could play on a third line for a decent team right now, but we've got him for another three years. Ablocator is not an NHL caliber player anymore. Darren Helm's hanging on by a thread. I would not be surprised if he had an Ablocator type season this year. It's... <laughs> you, you listed Ablocator twice and yeah, used him as a reference for another one. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. I'm just... Because I'm trying to scroll through here, but the, the point being is these are guys we are stuck with with a long time who probably objectively should not be on NHL rosters. Like, we make those Darren Helm is elite jokes all the time, which, by the way, that joke should have died six months ago. Um... <laughs> Isn't there some sort of thing where, like, if you repeat something constantly, people begin to believe it as a truth? And it is. It, again, it was, I was it's all It's our in. fault, really. It really is. Like, I was all in on the Darren Helm jokes for a while, but, like, it's one of those ones where it was funny and then it, it's just not anymore and now it's just sad. Darren Helm got outscored by Justin Abdelkader this year. Yikes. Yeah. I don't have a follow-up statement to that. And again, two more years of Darren Helm's contract. 
what is it, four or five more years of Justin Ablocator, three more years of Franz Nielsen. That, that is not good. That is, oh boy, that is not good. Even if you put those three out as a as a fourth line, you you make third line center Luke Lendenning and you throw out Helm Ablocator on Nielsen on the fourth line, that line is still probably going to get caved by the other team's fourth line. Now, I want to selfishly draw this back to a point I made earlier and why I think I'm very right about that point. You cannot have this many Dillaros, Hiroses, Glendennings, Abdulkaders, these bottom tier players. Don't, Hirose, yeah, 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 don't you dare yeah, lump Hirose in with them. You mean the cuff? The cuff. The cuff. Cuffner. Like you cannot, you cannot have this many and you cannot have the, that many that will probably make the team next year because that's what you get. Everything Brad just rattled off is what you'll get in the end. And these guys are not young. They scored 10 goals this year. They're objectively going to be worse hockey players next year. Now, I, let's let's touch on another thing that's worth pointing in terms of uh, things that went wrong for Detroit this year. Defense is bad. I will say it wasn't as catastrophically bad as I thought it would Most be. Most of our defensive pairings it was, belong in a museum. I love Witter. I love Witkowski. I love that, that hit and that fight towards the end of the season. Love it. He's not a good defender. Fine as a seventh guy if you want to keep him on for toughness reasons, whatever. If you want to, if he's got the capacity to sit in the press box for sixty-five games a year and do plug, it. I in think he somebody, does. <laughs> yeah, and plug him in when somebody's got the flu. Fine, I'd rather he do that than Chalosky do that. Trevor Daly was a special kind of horrendous this year. Yeah, he was. I've never seen anyone that bad, and I I play in a really bad beer league. Jonathan Erickson. If you want my opinion on Jonathan Erickson, pick any part of any episode of the Wendigo Podcast and click any point, and you'll probably hear it. I'm not going to dig into the guy anymore. Even if he, if even if I was wrong and he was good, spoiler, he's not. He's going to be 36. Trevor Daly tier. Danny Kaiser had a good season. That's yep. a great positive, and we talked. Not about living that. up to the. Con- I think people say, "Oh, he's not worth that contract." When we say he's been good, no, he's not worth this contract. But he improved this season. He was a solid middle pairing defenseman. He did fine. It was. He would be fine as a five guy on a good team. Yeah, it was. He was. Fine this year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that it was a hell of improve an improvement from the two previous years. Nick Cronwall looks like a guy who knows how to play the game of hockey. Had a fantastic career, and his body is failing him. Well, he is, uh... and he's might he's probably coming back. Puck on his stick was a fine player this year. Made good passes, made good reads, um, made decent decisions in the offensive zone. Anytime the play got moving above 50% speed, he couldn't keep up. The number of times he just got absolutely torched wide by mediocre players this year was staggering. Why would you want to keep doing this to yourself? You yeah, made your could, money. You've, you've won what you needed to do. Like, I think you're not proving anything to yourself or anyone else. I think it's the same thing as Ken Holland. He has a lot of pride in this team's success, and he wants to be a part of its recovery. You're uh, not. You're so, too old already. Now, again, who I, are you talking about here? Yeah. <laughs> I've repeated this four episodes in a row right now. If we buy out or trade Daly and Erickson and bring back Cronwall to play on the bottom pair, I'm that's actually fine. Oh, Brad. I'm okay with that. Sweet, sweet summertime. I am 100% certain that's not going to happen. Yeah. 
But if that were the scenario, it'd be fine. I hate that we're in a situation right now where we have to talk about how much we hate Cronwell being on this team because every single sensible Red Wings fan in the world loves Nicholas Cronwell. Nobody dislikes Nicholas Cronwell. The guy, the guy will go down. Except for maybe Martin Havlat. Fair. (laughs) Nick Cronwall has done so much for this team. His legacy remains untarnished no matter what happens. And it just should not be an odd, like going back to the trade deadline. Cronwell makes the call, and Ken Holland, no, I don't want to be traded to Columbus. I want to retire Red Wing. Ken Holland says, okay, but that means this is it because I can't pass up on trading you for an asset if you're going to be back for another year. Cronwell says, okay. I'm not crying over the seventh round pick that they didn't get or whatever it was. That doesn't matter, but roster spots is what I'm talking about. Far more valuable. Far more valuable at this point. Uh, positive on the defense. We already talked about Hernan Kinshalowski, so I'm not going to go into it, but I'm going to use a phrase that we don't get to use a lot with Detroit, and I'm going to use this as a loving term. Madison Bowie, competent bum. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pleasant. I was, I expected nothing from him and I was pleasantly surprised. I was not, I don't think there was a lot that was pleasant about my, I don't, I wasn't surprised, but nothing was pleasant really when I, the guys that he's very likable. And I can see his offensive assets that are that are useful. Um, I will never cry about having Madison Bowie on the third line on the third. On the third pairing, yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. I'm at. But with the with this roster makeup right now, they'll probably need Madison Bowie to play second pairing minutes next year, and I do not think he is or will be that guy. Okay, perfect world. This is what I would want next year. Again, I'm going to repeat before I say this. I'm a hundred percent certain this isn't going to happen. But if we get a miracle, first pairing. Danny DeKaiser, Philip Ronick. Second pairing, Mike Green, Dennis Cholosky. It works, vet and a young guy, right shot, left shot. From what this organization has said it likes to do, it makes sense. Bottom pairing, Nicholas Cronwall, Madison Bowie. Seventh defenseman, let's flip a coin, Jonathan Erickson. Trevor Daly bought out or traded. Not a good defense. But passable. Yeah, that third pairing. Oof. I again, still, again, Bowie can skate, and he and he's not a turnover machine, and Cronwell's not a turnover uh, machine. Bowie's pretty easy to get past as a defenseman, which is like if you're a defenseman, that's probably something you shouldn't be. <laughs> he was also a rookie. He's he's 23 years old. He still has a lot of hockey to play before we know who he is for certain. I can concede that. The guy could make some big steps. I don't watching Madison Bowie. I don't see the natural talent. I don't see the the on ice vision or or the intelligence I, or the aptitude for him to be anything more than at best a good third pairing guy. And I, what is a good third pairing guy? A competent bum. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying Madison Bowie is going to be anything special as a defenseman. He's not an elite passer, but he's not a poor passer. He's not an elite skater, but he's not a poor skater. He's not the most defensively sound defenseman in the world, but he's also not a liability every I time think he's, he's a liability. Eh, most shifts he was better than not. But again, rookie, I will in a new system. What was promising to me is he looked better in the last week of the season once he was used to the system than he did the first week he came over. Because those first few games scared the ever living hell out of me. But I saw progression. Madison Bowie, 10 games in as a Red Wing, was better than Madison Bowie, two games in as a Red Wing. And that's all I needed to see to to be content with now, what he did. I have more to talk about Madison Bowie, but here's the thing. The Madison Bowies of your team don't make or break your team. Nope. And so my, my grandiose point with the Madison Bowie is it better be a Madison Bowie there instead of a Trevor Daly. Yep. Because he's... 
he could be a absolute train wreck of a defenseman next year. But I'd like to find out. Yeah, he's 23 years old. You he's, should be looking at him rather than, than a daily. He's 13 years younger than Jonathan Erickson. Let's let's hope. Because if we can get 13 more years out of a competent Madison Bowie, that's probably something we should know sooner than later. Those are the negatives. Any other main negatives that we're missing? What brought down the Red Wings this year? I think it was those those three things. The, the bottom, the older forwards and defense just absolutely bottoming out this year and a lot of poor coaching decisions that really shone a spotlight on how he just doesn't get it. So that now here's the thing. I'm going to go back to a positive though, because again, we just signed Blashill to a, a two year contract extension. So we, we might as well give him the benefit of every doubt. This team competed this year. There were a lot of close games. They played fast, which we didn't see in previous years. They played an up-tempo game. They didn't play that draggy down system that uh, he inherited from Babcock. There was a bit of adjustment there. So he deployed the wrong personnel to do it with. But when he had the right guys in the ice, it did seem to work. All things like Eisenman aside, the draft aside, what I'm gathering here is the, the major point that needs to change in this offseason for the Red Wings to get better, not be a playoff team, and, and, and not to say, you know, stay within tanking range. We're not going to make projections about that right now, but for Detroit to improve is roster management. It's not about cap. It's not about contracts. It's not about UFAs. It's roster management. You're, and we're talking the entire makeup of your defense and the bottom six of your forwards and how you manage the lines. That's Ken Holland and Jeff Blashill are the two most important people players included, as to how Detroit gets better next year. Yep. Fully agreed. Youth movement. And that's it. It's up to them. They're a rebuilding team. Enough of playing the vets. I'm I'm done with that garbage. And you know what? There is absolutely no more experimenting. There's absolutely no more. Let's see. They've they've had a couple years of it. You know, the end of the season is a is a concentrated, a little bit sporadic dose of what could happen with this youth movement. They know what they have. A team that gets it will know what to do and we'll see an improvement next year. That is not – I'm not making an indictment and I'm not making any optimistic projections. I'm, I'm telling you like objectively, that's where the focus lays. As If you're a Red Wings fan or an analyst or you know three talking idiots on a podcast, that's what's to focus on is, is Ken Hall and Jeff Blashill and how they manage this roster. Yep, because we objectively know this is not a playoff team by skill, but there's room for improvement. And that's what matters. Uh, this is a long episode and it's late, but you guys stayed up with us and we are going to get to, uh, we didn't plan on this at first, but the um, we're going to do an overtime quickly for the Patreon supporters to say thank you. Um, I know there's uh, some of you put this in before and some of you put this in after the draft lottery. So this should be interesting. We are going to start out with Kaylin Wood says, just tell me what to be happy about or mad about or whatever. Just tell me how to feel. Um, Alex Turgot, Trevor Zegers, Bowen Byram and the things we just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, um, happy if the Red Wings aren't getting a projected first line center, they're getting a possible first pairing defenseman. If they're not getting a possible first pairing defenseman, they're getting a like Zadina or maybe better level winger. Yeah, there. This is this was the. So we got lucky that Zadina fell last year, but objectively, this was the better draft to pick sixth. Uh, warm chord music says I'm nervous as hell. Well, hopefully you sleep easy. 
Uh, Jonathan R. Reinbold says, we drink in celebration or we drink in despair. Either way, cheers. On to my question. I noticed Blasio was named to the U.S. men's national team this week. Not really sure what to make of that. Seems his reputation extends beyond Detroit, and I was just wondering what you fellows make of it. Keep up and have an excellent evening. Like I was just kind of mentioning, his teams do tend to compete to uh, with him. He does seem to build good rapport with players. Um, so those are two traits that bode well for a short-term tournament. Because in a in a tournament like that, you could have you could be a coach with great systems or bad systems. It's really really hard to get a team to to adapt flawlessly to a system in that short of time. So it's more important that they buy into what you're selling and they compete for you. And those are two things that he does seem to excel at. Um, the guy's reputation is like he's beloved everywhere within the hockey community. You find very few people who are, are not happy with Jeff Blaschel as, as a, a coach in the NHL. They, a lot, it's firmly believed that he deserves his extension. And, and you know what? Credit to him for that. He's, he's very well respected. And so it's not surprising. Uh, Brandy said, or sorry, Ian Grant says after this draft lottery, did Ottawa make the right decision keeping their pick last year? That's a great question. Ooh. There's a lot of layers there. Um, we have the gift of hindsight. Yeah. So we know Brady Kachuk had a really, really good year. So it's, it's still not apples to apples because we don't know how anybody from this draft is going to pan out. So my gut feeling right now off the top of my head, I'm going to say no. I think the fourth overall pick in this draft is likely going to be a more important player than... Brady Kachuk was. Brady Kachuk is a winger who, who, if his best case scenario is Matthew Kachuk, is still an 80, 90 point player, but that's as a winger. If Bowen Byram does turn out to be a Morgan Riley or Trevor Zegers turns out to be that, that first line center, center playmaking center. Oh, that's even if his, even if either of their skill levels is equal to what Brady Kachuk's is, it will be at a more important position. They still dodged a massive bullet. Yeah, Pierre Dorian is doing backflips tonight that he did not give up a lottery pick. Now, here's the thing. Knowing what you know, what knowing what they knew then, any sensible hockey team should not have said, no, that team will be last because they'll lose Carlson, Stone, um, Duchesne, like all these great players. But anyone who understood any context in Ottawa, which is pretty much anyone who read Hockey News, understood what was to become of that team. Everyone and their mother picked Ottawa to be the worst team in the league this year, and they were right. We all did. Objectively, I still think they made the wrong decision last year uh, when they did it. I would have given up that pick in a heartbeat. Just No, no, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, like, perfect. Yeah, Because I, Brady Kachuk is a good player, but if you have a four and you're taking your chances at drafting four again or possibly drafting better than four, and what, what were Ottawa's odds? Like over, 30, thir- over a third their odds? best case scenario was to have the same pick. So you he they got away with a lot there they got they got away with it, it and even then him. like fourth overall still likely or still could be better than than cousin zegers turk up byram you're gonna hear those names a lot any one of them could turn out better than kachuk yeah um did they make the right decision and if pot colson falls oh no i don't think they made the right decision i think they got away without that being such a glaringly obvious answer but i still think in the end you might be splitting hairs, but I, I don't think they made the right decision, even no. with all the luck. But at the same time, it, we might be looking at like a ten point gap, so it's not it's not that horrendous of a of a decision. Brandy says my coworker and I were talking about this on the way home today. If you had all the right skills and everything, what would you want? Uh, and everything would you want to work for the Red Wings? If so, in what capacity? 
Oh, I would love to be in management. Oh yeah, I would love to to be in the GM's office. Hundred percent, be a GM. Roster building that. Oh God, yes, Give I would it. love to do that. If not management, because that's it. I would love to be like head scout. I'm going to say this as someone who hates Brad objectively as a human being. The only thing good thing to come out of you is is Mika. Brad would make. Oh, he did, she didn't. Co- oh yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Brad Science would, lesson. Brad would make a phenomenal scout. Like really great scout. I think he's horrible to look at. I think his voice is grating, and I think genuinely most of what he says outside of this podcast just makes me wonder why I even come to hang out with him. But legitimately, you would make a fantastic scout. And most scouts end up in management, so that would be a fantastic career path. I wouldn't want to be a part of the Red Wings. No. I don't mix passion and business. No, look at that. Uh, Given the right connections, I'd love to work with the Red Wings Foundation, which fits well with the nonprofit work I've done the last 10 years, but it also sounds like it could be incredibly stressful. We're just assholes. (laughs) (laughs) The last thing I'd want is to get a job with something such an organization I like and eventually end up hating it. Yeah, don't meet your heroes, you know? There you go. Uh, Advanced Water says, who do you want to see win in the playoffs? I'm stuck between San Jose since I just got my new Nyquist jersey and want to get maximum use out of it and Carolina because what a bunch of jerks. Those are the two. Uh, Carolina, Columbus, Western Canada, Vegas. Uh, Also, have you ever noticed how much fun Bertuzzi looks like he's having on the ice? He looks like a kid in a candy store. Here's hoping hoping the Wings win the lottery. Thanks for the late night episode. Rip. Yeah. But you know what? Bertuzzi is like on his way to being the new heart and soul of his team after Helm was for so long. Well, was I am? Mm, I think D- Tyler Bertuzzi's already beat um, Darren Helm's career highs for goals and points in a season. So, um, no, say, I'm talking emotion here. Let's say Holmstrom. Uh, Connor Baker says on a scale from one to ten, how memeable was Ken Holland's face seeing they were picked six behind Chicago? Before? I was going to say six. It was it was hilarious. Ugh. Um, Jethro E says I've got nothing to add aside from I'm either elated or despondent. Yeah. Uh, who says that you need the playoffs to enjoy the massive mood swings that we've come to associate with April hockey? Also, please, pretty please, hockey gods, give us what we desperately, desperately need in this world and have Eastern Finals be the Islanders versus the Leafs. Oh, God, please. All I want in the world. I don't want either of those teams to win the Cup, but that's all I want. Let me tell you what's not happening this year. That. that. <laughs> uh, we need and deserve the whole series being the Islanders fans tripping Tavares. It would be entertainment of the highest order. Edit, all caps. This is bullshit. There's no way this wasn't rigged to give the NHL or Golden City their top picks. Um, Fully agree. I'm in on it. The the whole New York region, the Rangers and Devils, and Chicago, they're Golden Boys. Yeah, no, this was suspicious. I don't think it was rigged. I think it's just annoying. I know. Andrew Williams says, hey, guys, just became a patron after a couple years of listening. Andrew, thank you. Welcome to the welcome to the dub dub. Um it's refreshing to hear a pod about the wings that doesn't shy away from criticizing the team. Me and my now fiance, congratulations, uh, met you guys at the Detroit Beer Company in October. We'll definitely get uh, be back next year. Now let's all root for Toronto to get bounced in another heartbreaking Game 7. We, the ones who tweeted you guys a pick at the Canucks-Leafs game uh, with the sign saying we came from New York just to boo the Leafs. I remember that. Oh That's my amazing. god, that was magical. I remember yeah. seeing that. Uh, I now know how br- brutal it must be to live in Leafs country because they were everywhere in Vancouver. The Cowboy fans of the NHL. Oh, that's, yeah, apt. Lastly, keep up the great work, and if Zegers falls to six, they have to take him, right? Yeah, depending who else is there. I would put Zegers as 2A choice for Detroit at number six, if the right people fall. If. I doubt that all of them are going to fall. Garrett TV says, hi guys, sorry this might be wordy, but I'm pretty disappointed in six overall. Yeah, I was statistically most likely, but I just can't imagine a scenario where the one-week emotional boost the team got from winning a few games at the end of the season was worth possibly falling, uh, but we did. 
New Jersey finished one spot below us in standings with only two percentage points more than us at picking first, and they frickin' won the lottery. I bet they just forgot uh, all about how much that final week of the season sucked. Unless we nail our pick, I'm going to be bitter about this for a long while. This was our year to suck, and we failed. We failed at sucking. Ferk, sorry, just had to vent. Let's pray for Zegris and the gold plan. Okay, one quick question and one book suggestion. What do you guys refer to the... Why do you guys refer to the thermostat setting for your HVAC in Fahrenheit? I know, not, not a clue. I, I do mine in Celsius. Uh, it was the preset on mine, and I never bothered to change it. Uh, I grew up in Windsor, where they do pretty much anything interchangeably in metric and imperial and i still do celsius for everything uh i noticed brad and evan do this a couple episodes back on one of marissa's q a patreon post when ryan was out it's funny when i talk about the weather i always go in celsius too it doesn't make any damn sense yeah and pools everyone refers to their pool temperature in fahrenheit too yeah and i guess when you're fine-tuning a home's environment fahrenheit allows for a little bit more like fine-tuning but most modern thermostats will do half degrees in celsius and my body only works on a half degree yeah. Increase, decrease. Finally, a book suggestion. This offseason, read Bear Town by Frederick Bachman. It's an awesome book about the life and times of a tiny, unnamed small town uh, who, whose life revolves around the operations of their AAA and junior hockey teams. It tells the story of a tiny hockey town players, managers, GM sponsors, coaches, spouses, bartenders, friends, etc. Book about life told through the lens of small town hockey culture. Amazing read. Do it. Let's go, Red Wings. That actually sounds like a great read. Thank you for the I'm suggestion. In. It's very yeah. hard to read on the golf course, but <laughs> stranger things have happened. If you get a slow foursome in front of you, you're covered. I, you know what I call that? I call it the weekend. <laughs> Evan Beckner says, my disappointment disappointment is immeasurable and my day is ruined. Obviously, I'm salty about the results, but the lottery system in general is stupid. Agreed. Uh, Rowan says, this should be good. Uh, guys, remember when Favorite wasn't here and I asked you guys to predict the wing's landing spot? Well, B1 took third. B took B two took fifth. Guess who is at sixth? Ryan, I hereby anoint you the most accurate predictor host of the Winged Wheel podcast. Didn't you pick first? Uh probably. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations on your crown and second victory in recent times. Now we wait for B two to chime in, saying he gave you that spot. My response: You choked, mate. You went Riley Shahan high and wide. The rest of today's canceled. No jersey questions. That's how sad everyone is after the draft lottery. We don't get any jersey questions from Rowan. Uh, Andrew Schwiemann says the heater we went on to end the year just became that much more frustrating because of the lottery. Uh, Joseph Fournier says, not surprised that the major markets totally won the draft lottery. Time for the gold plan. I've been pedantic in asking questions and researching pros and cons, but screw it. Gold plan it is. So who do you guys have at number six? How's the rest of the summer unfold for Detroit? Turcotte at number six. Eisman joins on July 2nd after a day of making us wait. We all explode in euphoria. Uh, I'll say good player at number six and then a concerning amount of um, staleness and nothing happening. Uh, Also, seriously, thanks for being our saving grace during some abysmal stretches of hockey. Development and management have made some boneheaded decisions and your levity, wisdom, and humor have helped us all through it. Stay fresh. That is incredibly kind. Thank you. Uh, Philip Gastineau says, I know everyone else is going to cover the hockey stuff. So here's my question. What's it like living in Canada? What are your what are the differences in your daily activities? What's expensive? What's cheap? We'll do this one by one. Um, first of all, I love, 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 love living in Canada. Oh, yeah. The weather sucks, but everything else is fantastic. Fewer spiders. Much less spiders. Um, d- what's expensive? What's cheap? Ex- food is expensive here compared to the States. Yeah. A very lot expensive. of goods are very expensive. Um, pretty much. Like housing. Yeah. Housing is nuts here right now. It's stupid. People were telling me an expensive house in wherever they lived was $200,000. Yeah. I was like, oh. Townhouse. 
Must be a tough life to have. <laughs> Townhouse is here over 400000 now. Yeah, if you want a starter home, you pretty much have to be either in a great job or, you know, registering for your mortgage with a partner. Yeah, if you're single, you're not buying a house right now. Unless and you're making six figures. The good news is the rental market is also absolutely furked. Yeah. <laughs> um, difference in daily activities, not too much different. Uh, the life of most North Americans is pretty... It's the free healthcare that makes all the differences. Yeah. Well, not free. We pay taxes for it, but we're happy to do it. That's a big difference is the taxes. Um, honestly, like Canada's a fint. I, and I, I do love the States too. Like one of my favorite, I grew up in Windsor, Ontario, and I maintain the best part of Windsor besides the pizza is the fact that it's right next to Detroit. I love Detroit. I love so much of the States. Uh, so much of my travel has been to the and States. And you should talk to Panarin. No. Yeah. I don't think <laughs> you can <laughs> try and him. convince him to go. Yeah. Uh, when I'm done with my studies, I would love to move out there. When I look across the border, I see a smaller town atmosphere, a country that takes care of its citizens, stricter business regulations, oh. and a crazy hockey nation that I would love. Downsides I see are crazy housing prices, yeah, higher taxes, which I don't mind because I understand that is why they can have stricter regulations in healthcare. P.S. We should do playoff brackets for a prize. We, Evan, yeah, Evan will have sent out the link. They're already out. Tyler Chloris says, hoping for Turcot, Zegris, or Byram. If all three available at six, who are you taking? Turcot, Turcot. And Byron for Evan. Unless you've changed since we started talking. My brain's off. I've been asleep for an hour. Dan Olson says, hey guys, hope all is well. So is there a rule that says we can't tackle the devil's brass on their way up to the stage so Kenny can run up and steal Hughes from them? Um, Maybe not. Is there a rule saying a golden retriever can't be drafted six overall just for the pure chaos? Airbud. Airbud. Ice bud. It's been done, probably. Airbud, ice dogs. Wasn't is- their most valuable primate? Wasn't yep. that on ice? We're drafting a monkey. With that, that is our season in review, guys. We just because that season is over, just because the draft lottery is over, does not mean we have we don't have a ton to come. Great news is the website is well underway. Great news is there's a ton of draft content coming. We're gonna get more guests. We are going to be with you. This podcast does not stop. You're gonna see us at least once a week up until next season. At which point you'll see us twice a week again. And we're not done twice a week yet. I don't think. I think we said we're going to run out, run the end of April and then see. See where we're at. See where we're at, how much content we have. I want to thank uh, our name level sponsors. Uh, Sky Carcass, Arjun Shanker, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, uh, Kalen Wood, Charlie Elkins, Stan Olson, uh, Ryan Alant, Ryan Lewis, Dan Bell, and Hannah Lee. Thank you all so much and we will see you on Sunday thanks for tuning in to the winged wheel podcast be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you'll also find links to other ways to support the show such as Patreon official podcast apparel and more and don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at winged wheel pod and of course the hosts at Brad Crisco at Ryan Hanna WWP and at Hockey Town Evan.